HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We are coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, October 25th, 2017. This is the 158th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the executive chef of one of NYC's most reputable catering and events companies, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, Later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is on rebranding. Let's face it, sometimes it makes sense to start fresh. Perhaps you feel that it is necessary to change your company name or image to better represent what you are doing. Maybe your mission is now different than when you started your business, or the industry has changed. Whatever the reason may be, if you are confident that there is a better way to represent what you do, then you should not hesitate to switch things up. Being true to who you are is essential in delivering an authentic product. So when it feels right, develop your new identity and rebrand. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really excited to have my guest here in the studio with me. It is John Karangas. He is the executive chef and of Union Square Hospitality Events, the catering and venue hospitality business of Danny Meyer's Union Square Hospitality Group. John has experience in working with some of the most acclaimed kitchens on the West Coast and New York, including Gramercy Tavern and Square One in San Francisco, as well as for Restaurant Associates and Goldman Sachs, delivering world-class dining and hospitality to an elite clientele. 
John now brings his passion for excellence and hospitality to the Union Square Hospital Union Square Events team. Welcome, John. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I realized. Did I say your last name correctly? Or it was no? Really close. Yeah, I Cur- should have asked you pre-show, but I'm asking you now. How do you say it? Courageous. Courageous. Yes. Okay. I'll get, I'll try to get it right the rest of the show. So welcome. Um, you know, we met in an event, uh, and I I follow what you do and everything on Instagram. So I I want to know how you how you let's go back to your background. How did you get into cooking, and then eventually switching to more of the catering side? Sure. Um, well, how I initially got into cooking was my mom was always a great cook growing up, and you know every meal was was one in which. I appreciated and didn't really eat a lot when I was younger. I have a brother that would eat a lot, and I'd sit there and watch him, and I'd get in trouble for not eating. But the smells and the aromas, I think, looking back years later, really started to lay a nice, solid foundation for me, to which I didn't experience later on when I started cooking. And then when I was 13, I started to work in a restaurant because that was the only place that I could get a job delinquent of working papers. So I think you had to be 15 or 16 and I was able to get a job in a restaurant. So it all started there. Busboying and coat checking and then eventually prepping in the kitchen. And so um, that's where it all began for me. But it wasn't until some years later is when the passion really started to develop. And and where where was that? When What job were you at? So I was working through high school in restaurants, and again, not a passion yet. Then when it came time to go to college, I thought that cooking and the restaurant business was something that I knew. Um, I seemed to be okay at it, okay to good, but not a big hunger for it. So um, someone recommended that I enroll in New York City, which is now called New York City um, College of Technology that has a hotel and restaurant management program. Right. So I entered the program, and my eyes started to open up. Um, they gave an, an amazing introduction to all things culinary, pastry, restaurant, and hotel. So I was able to kind of, my thought process was, let me venture into something that shows a broad range of things, and then I'll see where it leads me and where my, where my heart takes me. So um, naturally... Being into sports as a kid and having that baseline cooking fundamental um, work experience, I started to do really well in those culinary and pastry classes and some things came naturally and then my desire to learn more and in, um, really sort of started to fuel a little desire. And then at some point, about a year and a half into the program, um, one of the instructors told me that they send a couple of kids abroad at the end of every year, and um, I had a choice to go either to Italy or France. And so um, they told me it was um, Paris or in outside Bologna. So I said, oh, I'll go to Paris. And again, not, not a real desire, mm-hmm. but that set me on a path of just complete amazement of a culture of people who looked at food very differently than I had at the time or... Um, or looked at food differently from what I, in places I had seen. So uh, that's really when my passion started to set forth in, in, in an incredible direction and seeing how, 
how much time someone would spend on making one dough or working on an hors d'oeuvre or the amount of time someone would sit there butchering meat with a smile. And mm-hmm. so I thought, wow, this is, this is pretty special. And, and it didn't take long before I was working on the line and you know, speaking French and, and just running around doing all these things with these amazing products and people. So that's where it really, really took off for me. Yeah, no, it sounds, it's, it's, I could see, yeah, you being drawn into it and, and it, um, inspiring you, or I don't know, it's, um, it's uh, the way you're telling the story. It just sounds lovely, like kind of like a romanticism about, about food and, and, and it is. Yeah. And, and, and I couldn't put my finger on it at the time. I mean, it was, I was walking or taking the subway and, and the restaurant, um, was in, was by the Louvre. So, you know, I'm walking around like a tourist and next thing you know, I'm in a basement, you know, smiling, mm-hmm. working 20 hours a day. And the chefs are kicking me out of the kitchen saying, go, go to the Eiffel Tower, go, you know, right. go have fun. <laughs> you know, I was 19 and, and, you know, happily burning the candles and yeah. absorbing as much as I could. And, um, you know, it was one of the greatest times of my life. Yeah. So then, so then what happened? You, you moved back to New York city. How did you end up at Gramercy Tavern? So, um, what had happened was I was a finished school and, you know, and I must say that, you know, it was my mom and dad's amazing, amazing ability to instill an incredible work ethic that, um, you know, I, I, was actually told by someone that it must have been from your mom and dad when I was when I was leaving Paris, which, um, you know, looking back on, like, that was a great foundation for me to, and gave me some really good confidence going into New York, saying that if I could do this here and speak a different language and, and be told I was doing a, a, doing a, a fine job, then I came back to New York and the same um, professors from the college recommended that I go and meet um, one of two chefs at my choosing to explore an opportunity for a full-time job. And one of them was Michael Romano from Union Square Cafe, and one of them was Michael LaMonaco, who at the time was at the 21 Club. Right. So um, I did the little research I could at the time to find out who exactly they were. I've heard of them because they were alumni of that same program. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my decision really came down to which one was a closer commute to where I live. <laughs> And 16th Street was <laughs> right. better than going Midtown. So I met with um, Chef Romano at Union Square Cafe. And, um, you know, just I vividly remember that conversation like it was yesterday. And it was 25 plus years ago. And um, it was one where he said, you know, come in and start on Saturday. And f- so I worked there for three years. And, you know, I tell this story often because... I don't. I know things are run differently now in restaurants, but for the first three months I worked there, I was in the basement peeling potatoes and pe- peeling potatoes only. And um, so that was, you know, even for me at the time, that was a um, that was a, a great lesson in you know really going through the appropriate chain of command for where I was at that time mm-hmm. in my career, regardless of whether I was just cooking on the line somewhere else. And um, it was an incredible journey. In many ways, I matured as a as a, an adult there. I uh, learned a tremendous amount about people and taking care of people, not just about cooking. Cooking was a, definitely a big part of it, but seeing Chef Romano and Danny Meyer and and all the you know wonderful people that were there at a time when 
that was the one restaurant um, that had an incredible, indelible imprint, you know, on my life, really. Yeah, no, I can see that. So how, so moving forward with your career, then you stayed with restaurants. You were on the West Coast for a little bit. Um, how did you end up switching then over yeah. to to the event side of things? And did you did you ever see that in your future? <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, you know, for me at that time that I pivoted from restaurants to catering, you know, was a was a, a tough time for me career wise because I you know really wanted to focus on a family and having a family, mm-hmm. and I also wanted to chase Michelin stars and, and all those things and magazine covers. But I realized knowing who I was um, and how I would go about my work week and my life, I didn't think it would be possible for me to have the kind of success I wanted at home with a family and with children and spend the time that I would deem appropriate for them that I would if needed to be a success in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I was still young at the time, but I thought, let me try this. And and so I went back to my amazing uh, program of of, of New York City College of Technology and the the professors and my friends, and and they said, give it a try. And I did. And, you know, it was tough in the beginning because, you know, if I aspire to be great at what I do professionally – and cooking and in restaurants, you know, immediately working outside those walls, my expectations were one where they would want to be great in restaurants and culinary, but we're not in those walls. So it was a struggle for me for a while. Um, and I had to, you know, really do some soul searching and figure out, you know, what was going to be best for me. Cause I saw a lot of, a lot of boundaries. I saw a lot of roadblocks. And so um, I either need to go through these or, you know, or, or about mm-hmm. face it. And so um, I decided to make the, the conscious effort to take all the things that I loved about the best restaurants in the world and not just the ones that I've worked in, but incorporate that into the environments in which I was in while continually educating myself from that world of restaurants and hotels and such. So many years later, that's still my that's still my current role. My job is, if it is to be the best at what I'm doing, then I need to find and look to those places as sources of inspiration and incorporate that the best way I can for our many different guests and partners and, and such. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Did you, when did you get... Like, did you get back with Union Square Hospitality Group, and did you reach out I yeah. mean, to the team from having been there years past? So yeah, so I stayed in contact with many of the many of the of the folks within Union Square Hospitality Group for for many reasons, aside from just being friends and 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 you know motivators and and just industry colleagues. I mean, you know, they were the ones that I built some of my strongest relationships with as a as a young man. So. Um, typically, you know, and I don't know if many people know this story, but what we did was, um, while I was at Goldman Sachs, we moved into the new location with the new world headquarters in 2009. So essentially from a, from my previous culinary involvement there was overseeing all the culinary for five buildings in lower Manhattan, which all moved into the one building, which is currently, um, downtown. 
And um, there was an event one night where, you know, I was told that Union Square Events was going to come in and, and cater, cater um, an event out of our kitchen, which was pretty commonplace sometimes if we would have outside folks come in for a variety of reasons. And so when they came in, I got really excited. You know, one could think that I wouldn't want anyone coming into my kitchen, but I guess I'm a nice guy and I have no problem with <laughs> it. And, nice and so come on in. I made sure the kitchen was really clean. I told my staff, you know, Chef Romano's coming because at the time, mm-hmm. at the time he was, um, he was a big part of, of the overarching uh, culinary for the entire group, but he played a, a big role in the catering and events company. So I was excited to see him and, and some others. So um, got the kitchen sparkling clean and, and um, they came in and did an event and I had taken Chef Romano um, he had gotten there early the night of the event and I took him around and we just kind of chatted and, and, and caught up a bit and he asked me a lot of questions about what my role was there um, and then probably about after 45 minutes or so um, you know, had a great time and then I got a phone call about a week later into which I realized I guess I was interviewing for a job I didn't know I was interviewing for a job <laughs> for and so he asked me if I wanted to kind of come in and talk to some people and explore an opportunity of you know coming back and and um, so I did, and and, um, and so yeah. So after you know um, talking to a bunch of people, um, it was a hard decision though to make because for the same reasons why I pivoted away from the restaurants, I knew that coming back could you know potentially put me in a position that I never wanted to be in the first place. So um, you know through a lot of um, conversations and encouragement from my wife, um, it you know she helped me make decision which i think was it was a great one I which was so. to rejoin and on that note that's a great great story um we're gonna take a little break and then come back and we'll talk more about what you do now day to day so stay with us this is all in the industry on heritage radio network Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Whole Foods Market believes in seeking out local, fresh, and seasonal food and in supporting local farmers, makers, and the community as a whole, economically and agriculturally. Whole Foods Market believes in food that is vivid and colorful, fresh and full of nutrients. Food that connects you to your body, the seasons, and to nature. Food that helps you do more, sleep better, and wake up happier. Found in over 400 locations throughout the United States, Whole Foods Market only sells food that meets their standards, which means no artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or sweeteners, ever. Whole Foods Market believes in real food. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is John Karangis. He is the executive chef of Union Square Hospitality Events. So um, my tip, actually, I was a little, I guess I was inspired by thinking of uh, the name. There was a name change from Hudson Yards Catering into Union Square Hospitality Events. Were you, when you were brought on board, was it Hudson Yards? No, when I was brought on board, it was shortly thereafter. 
the change of the name from okay. Hudson Yards to Union Square events. And, and what was the reasoning behind the change? Well, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of it had to do with what your PR tip of the day was, and it was, it was um, a rebranding of sorts to um, have a further connection between Union Square Hospitality Group mm-hmm. and Union Square Events. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad my PR tip was yeah. made sense. <laughs> Absolutely did. So, so now, how big is the company? How how are you? How many events are you doing a year? And are you still your location is in the Hudson Yards area? Correct. Okay. So we're located in the old uh, tunnel nightclub warehouse I've building. Been in that space for some <laughs> events. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this is a beautiful event space. Uh-huh. And we are on the seventh and eighth floor, and we occupy a kitchen that has ten thousand square feet. And from there, that acts out that acts as our um, production sl- commissary, if you will, slash home office for all of the businesses that come out of Union Square events. And there are several. There are thirteen different businesses that have. Uh, many of them have very separate, distinct menus and experiences 13. for different guests of all shapes and, mm-hmm. and forms. From uh, we have what we call a division of called venue hospitality, which is um, a series of businesses that are either cafes, um, very much fast, uh, fine, casual concepts, ballpark concessions, and we also have which people most commonly referred to as our catering, um, and that, you know, serves a variety of guests, different size events, approximately 1,500 events a year. Wow. Um, and then we also operate the banquet and event and meeting space at the Conrad Hotel. So there's a significant portion of that um, culinary production happening from that same kitchen on 28th Street. The Conrad that's down by North End Grill? Correct. Okay. Correct. There's a kitchen there on site, um, but it has a certain amount of capacity, and, and so which we almost treat it as its own specialized uh, event. Yeah. But we have a tremendously talented chef and team down there that handles the day-to-day operations of it. I did not know that. Yeah. I, was, I had dinner last week at North End Grill. I hadn't been there in a while. Um, it was excellent. I love it. I love yeah. it there. Yeah, it was really great. So, so how do you so so how many people are part of the team? How does how how does the company operate in your day to day role? Yeah, well, the good news for me and and you know we say this a lot. We've myself and my executive pastry chef, who's you know who's a tremendous talent, and we have a slew of other very fine, capable, and incredibly bright people that have been with us for a long time. And we've, when I started six years ago, we were a certain size. Now we are five times greater that size. So through each growth spurt that we've had, we've had to find ways in which to be more efficient, to implement more systems, standards, and procedures that would help us get to where we wanted to be. So it, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, and uh, but it did happen pretty quickly. Um, but my role hasn't changed really from the beginning. Um, I oversee and and really dictate the culinary vision for the company of Union Square Events. 
and taking on all the different businesses. We want to make sure that each of the each of the businesses have their own um, have their own individuality. Um, we're very thoughtful in how we craft our menus, how how our staff is trained, how the food is served, and you know our guests' needs are in mind more than our desires. Um, and then we just look for ways in which we could over deliver on that promise. So um, whether we're doing something in the ballpark, we realize that we want to we want to do it a little differently if we can. We want to make food that's incredibly fresh. Maybe maybe not necessarily a concept or flavor profiles that are different, but what can we do to make it more special? So if it's if it's our taco concept or pizza concept, we want to look at ways in which we could serve folks in a ballpark a way in which we feel is most appropriate for them. And, you know, we do a lot of research to find out that things that are held in their hand are a little easier to eat and how much time it takes to sit down in, you know, if they're sitting in the lower seats or if they're in the upper deck. And, you know, the food that we make, how that, how that, how that, um, how that transports and, you know, do things get soggy? Do they stay crispy? And, and so the last thing we want to do is create something that's delicious in the first two minutes, but then, you know, doesn't carry well. So, um, so for all that, all the different businesses, we, we put a lot of thought into it and do a lot of collaboration. Yeah, that makes sense. And you were telling me before the show you have a project that's opening very soon, the, the public fair that, at um, Bryant Park. Correct. And that's a pop-up just for the wintertime? Winter Village, yes, okay. at Bryant Park. It opens on Saturday. Yeah, I think, when, when did that, you start doing that? Because it, it like a year or two ago? Last year. Was okay, last year. year was the first year. Yeah. And then what does that entail uh, for people who don't aren't familiar? This is Bryant Park, and they have this amazing winter festival and the ice rink, and it's and it's, it's festive. It's, it's festive. <laughs> it's it's cold. It could be warm. <laughs> it could be Saturday. 80, yeah. It could be eighty <laughs> degrees. Um, so yeah, we we serve guests that are coming to have a good time anytime during the week. They could be. They could be, you know, they could be locals. They could be international, um, you know, folks on holiday. And we just want to offer them a spot where they can have a bit of a respite in the middle of their day. So um, we keep the same thought in mind when we're crafting a menu. We want to make sure that, you know, them being able to get their food hot, quickly, thoughtfully, and one in which would, would... there would be a menu that would work for the majority of the of the of the guests that come in there. And so last year was very successful for us. Um, there's also a catering component there, so you can you can um, have some of the space for whether it be a holiday party or um, you know we've done birthday parties or you know folks that just want to go ice skate and have some pizza and whatnot. Yeah. Well, you do whatever whatever people want, <laughs> and you're able to accommodate many people. Because I know you also do, you do weddings, and you do you do tons of yeah. styles of events. Yeah, for sure. So lots of those. Yeah, let me ask you the question I have from my last guest. So on episode 157, I had on Anna Horovis. She's the owner of Good to Go Cafe and Anna in the Raw. She wanted to know, if you weren't a chef, what would your profession of choice be? Um, yeah, I've, th- I've thought about that a lot. I, I don't know if I'd be able to, I mean, I'd be playing shortstop for the New York Yankees. Um, <laughs> of course you would be. But um, 
you know, my, my dad was a, was a craftsman. He was a builder. He built with his hands. And he did it for his joy, but also for others. And, you know, he used to, he used to rebuild engines on cars. And then later in his career, he built homes. And, you know, again, looking back on that, he would, he would build a home. He would sell the home. And then before the owners would move in, he'd be there for three weeks watering their grass by hand. And I used to ask him, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Didn't you sell the house already? And so, you know, but he got a lot of joy in it. So, you know, someone asked me this question recently, and I thought it would be something with my hands. It, it would have to be. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of in our blood, and um, that's one of the things I love about cooking. I'm able to put joy on someone's face and make their day better, uh, hopefully their experience better, but, um, but doing it with my hands and with that thought in my, in my, uh, in my heart, really. Okay. Well, that's that's good. I think Anna will be satisfied with your answer. And my my extra, let's say, bonus question. I want to know what's something about Danny Meyer that that most people don't know. Danny's an incredibly good <clears throat> harmonica player. Really? Yep. See, he's, did not know that. He's surprised uh, a bunch of us. Uh, at a meeting a couple of times, actually. And, um, yeah, I couldn't believe how good he was at it. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. Glad I asked that question. On that note, let's take another break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. To all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is John Karangis. It's time for my speed round game. So what this is, I'm going to name a couple of things and you just pick your preference. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Summer beer, colder months wine. Love it. <laughs> Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? A lot of small. A lot of small. How about communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? All-inclusive charge. Figured you got to go there, there right? <laughs> How about uh, triathlons or marathons? Triathlons. 
You're doing one, I think, right? Yeah. Or you've done. That's pretty. I, both. Okay. Cool. Yankees or Mets? My heart is with the Yankees. Okay. Long-time Yankee fan. Okay. But I root for the Mets as well. Got it. I root for both. Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan or Brooklyn? I was born in Brooklyn. All right. And we're here in Brooklyn, so. <laughs> here in Brooklyn. Cool. You. But you, I love Manhattan. Yeah. Those are, that, was, that was a good game. You, Great game. So uh, I like hearing everyone's answers. <laughs> okay, so industry news. Serious stuff happened this week, and it's the big news. And um, so I figured we have to talk about it. Uh, Anola.com, the articles, John Besh Restaurants Fostered Culture culture of Sexual Harassment, 25 Women Say. This was by Brett Anderson. And so this is about how celebrity chef Jonathan, Jonathan Besh uh, he's the co-owner of Besh Restaurant Group based in New Orleans. Uh, this just sexual harassment case has come about uh, that apparently it was an eight-month investigation. And I think from what I read and has been told that the case moved a little faster in the past month after the Harvey Weinstein allegations came out in the Me Too campaign where this article was able to, Brett Anderson was able to get um, a lot of interviews with people who work for the company and um, claims uh, for the case. And so this article came out and then the next day uh, it broke that John Besh has stepped down as the operations of the restaurant group and has apologized and he's going to focus on his family. Um, I hope I'm summarizing this to to some good degree but um what any thoughts on this story well i don't know incredibly much about it um i think it you know i guess for face value it you know saddens me that um that those allegations are there um i also mm -hmm. think that you know for myself personally we and i you know have always fostered and focused on making sure that our teams and our people were well taken care of first. Um, it's very hard for us to get a goal accomplished with members of our team. So having them, you know, be cared for first is our first step in ensuring mm -hmm. that our guests can be well taken care of. So um, that's always been our focus and will continue to be. And, you know, and I hope that the situation that's happening now gets resolved. Yeah, me too. I mean, it, it pointed out how for the size of their company, they have over a dozen restaurants, they didn't have an HR department until they implemented one on October 11th. And a few shows ago, I had talked about how there was a split also, but a partnership between uh, Alan Shia and John Besh, and there really wasn't any information on why they were splitting from or he was splitting from the group but I think something with this story had to do with that I think Alan Shia was saying you know we need we need to have an HR department for for the people of our company so um I mean it's it's big news John Besh is is a very well-known respected mm -hmm. chef in the industry so there was another article on food and wine that came out yesterday that Kat Kinsman wrote and it was titled how the John Besh allegations are prompting restaurants to reevaluate 
reevaluate their policies. And I think this is this is great. She even at the bottom of the article listed examples of some restaurants and what their uh, their policies are for anti-harassment and things in the yeah. it, so that other restaurants can look for this as you know if they don't have their own that they can be inspired and, and maybe get something in place because I think this you know something good might yeah for others for sure. come I from think, this I think a lot of a lot of good things will come out of this and um, you know I have a, I have a long corporate background um, you know working in my previous um, you know time in those larger food service companies and then you know smaller restaurants I understand have certain capabilities um, but you know I'm, I'm hopeful that things are only going to improve more and more as time goes on yeah me too I mean it's it is what it is and I, I think yeah lessons can be learned from this so sure. um, that's that news from this week other a little more Happier news <laughs> is uh, last night I saw how Latin America's 50 best restaurants of 2017 list came out. And this is the the 50 best they do of the world. But then this is specifically for Latin America. And the number one was Mido in Lima, Peru, which I was fortunate to go to last year. And it was it was mind blowing experience I had. So I was I, I feel I, I support their number one spot. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So. Um, well, you always have your your finger right on the pulse. Always. Always. <laughs> it seems like you were you were ahead of the curve once again. Uh, well, congrats to you as well. Oh, congrats to me. <laughs> no, congrats to them. I mean, I mean, the Liz and Central is number two, sure. which which I also I also went to, and it's also spectacular. It's just like Amazonian ingredients I'd never heard of or tried before from dining there. So. Oh, we'll have to talk. We're scheduled to go. To, um, to Peru? Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, happy to give you tips. I mean, the food in Lima I thought was incredible. And I, I, and the hospitality. That was one thing with Mido that also was so special is they just treated me so well. Really, really kind. I mean, the flavors of a lot of the Peruvian food that I've eaten and, you know, I've looked out to them for sources of inspiration a lot in the last few years and I'll continue to do so because um they're just flavor explosions and and like you said the hospitality and and what they're doing with with locally sourced and foraged foods is is fascinating to do it on a on a global stage now it's amazing that they're being recognized and and yeah yeah well I'm excited for you to go you're going to love it it's really really good good food food culture there so uh yeah people can go online and check the world's 50 best.com uh to find out more about the winners there and congratulations to them all and we're going to take one more break and we're going to come back we'll do my solo dining experience and the final question this is all in the industry on heritage radio network
Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at The Loyal. Here's the rundown. The location, 289 Bleecker Street, West Village, New York City. The concept, a new American brasserie featuring seasonal, shareable dishes and innovative cocktails. The chef, John Frazier of Nick's Narcissa Dovetail, all in New York City. Why did I go? Because this is a new place from Chef Frazier, and it's a change from his more veggie-focused restaurants, and I'm a fan. My experience. Although I was, I was feeling a bit under the weather, I ventured downtown on a gorgeous New York City evening to get some fresh air and eats. As soon as I walked in, the place had amazing energy, and I was happy to be there. The host helped me find a seat at the bar, and I was well taken care of, and I small-talked with my neighbors around me. What did I get? So probably not the smartest choice for having a cold, but I wanted to try the burger. So I ordered the Loyal with Cheese, a Piedmontese burger with Comte cheese, and it came with duck fat tots. I also had a club soda. So my take delicious burger and those tots are quite addictive I would say really really good the ambiance so it's casual yet modern space it has a nice sized bar up front with some seating around and a larger main back dining room perfect for solo dining or dinner with friends interesting tidbit Chef Frazier was inspired by restaurants like Blue Ribbon and Raul's I saw a quote saying He was inspired by them because they're timeless places you go back to for a martini at five o'clock, but also celebrate something at midnight when you get off work. So that was what inspired him to do the loyal personal fun fact. So it turned out that the couple that, that was sitting next to me waiting for their friends to have dinner when their friends arrived, it was Danielle Friedman, who is someone I know through the industry. She's known as restaurant girl. She was there with her husband. So it's a small world. The cost, $24, that's not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would. Their website is the, is loyalrestaurant.com. You want to go have a burger at the Loyal? <laughs> it was pretty good. I'm sure. He's an incredibly talented chef. He is, he is. Um, yeah, place was place was great. Okay, so it's time for the final question. So my next guest is going to be Ashley Albert. She is the co-founder of Royal Palm Shuffleboard Club. She is also the co-founder of the Matza Project. She also does voiceovers and has done very well with that. And we are old camp friends, if believe it or not. Wow. So I've known Ashley for quite a while, and she's, she's had an amazing career. So she's going to be my next guest. What would you like to ask her? Well, she's incredibly entrepreneurial. My question would be, where is the connection between those three professions? Yeah, that's a good question. Because usually someone that's entrepreneurial, there's always that common denominator as to why and how. But um, she, She's also been, I don't know if she's doing it anymore, but the singer in a, a kid's band. Like, <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's one of the most creative people uh-huh. I know. I, I mean, that's my... my I don't know my take on her, sure. but that's I will find out because they are very diverse yeah. um, things to be doing. <laughs> wow. I'd love so, to know. I'll yeah. listen to find out. Okay, cool. Well, 
Um, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure to get to know more about your background and uh, just know you. You know, I'm glad we met and just following your your career and everything you guys are doing at Union Square events. It's like it's um, it's impressive. Thank you, thank you, and it's great to see you again. And and uh, hope to be back. Yeah, yeah, anytime. Come mm-hmm. back. Well, pizza. So my guest today has been John Karangis. He is the executive chef of Union Square Hospitality Events. Their website is unionsquareevents.com. Instagram, underscore John, uh, or John underscore Karangis. And Twitter, jkarangis. And at ushgnyc and at unionsqevents. I hope I got that right. Did I get that right? Okay. Follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org, and we are on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks always to my engineer, Vitor, and thanks again to John. I'm going to be away next week. I'm going to Summit LA 17 in Los Angeles. So my next show with Ashley is going to be on Wednesday, November 8th, 4 p.m. as usual, and it will be live. I hope you will tune in then, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.